welcome to Oops All Monsters, the deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities, curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me, when I can get him to stop sucking salt out of all these Klingons, is Gavin. And this weirdo with me, with his Tex Avery bulging eyeballs oogling women, is Hess. Um, well, you know, I guess you, <laughs> you caught me. Um, <laughs> and we are here too, as always, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming from the console and the tabletop and beyond on a rotating basis. Each of us brings a monster into the shop unknown to the other presenter and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you, dear readers at home. Quick reminder, images that we will refer to throughout the show are available on our Instagram at oopsallmonsters, and there are handy-dandy links in our link tree there to get to wherever we are on the internet. Um, now, before we jump on, now we jumped on to, before we jump onto the, the monster intro story, uh, which is one of mine this week, um, Gavin, do you have something for our hit segment? Villainous vocabulary. Where each week we bring in a, um, unlikely vocabulary word. Do you have one for us, Gavin? I sure do. Um, it is agastopia. I do not know that. How do you spell agastopia? A-G-A-S-T-O-P-I-A. Agastopia, uh, is the admiration of a particular part of someone's body. I am hmm. agastopic for them idem bitums, <laughs> which is the tips of your toes. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, it's not some kind of special, uh, uh, gentleman's special interest material club on the, the World Wide Web. All right. Good. Agastopia. Agastopia. Right. Fixated and on one part. Friggin-tastic. Um, we'll see if that's relevant to our monster today. Well, uh, mm-hmm. hmm, let's find out. I don't know. But uh, as always, Gavin does not know yet what our monster is going to be during the process of the uh, story intro now, for those of, for all of the new readers we might have to this episode. Hello, new readers. Welcome to our weird little monster shop. Hello. And, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and Gavin does not know what the monster is. No. He will probably catch it, or at least the genre of it, from our intro story. Um, we'll find out. All right, Gavin, imagine it's the year 2364. You're a new ensign on Starfleet's Uh. flagship, the USS Entrepreneur, scouring the Alpha Quadrant for salt vampires, giant space insects, and hot chicks with nose ridges, when you were sent by the captain to drive a shuttle accompanying the ship's empathy officer, for some reason, on a routine mission when a mysterious force grips your shuttlecraft from its trajectory and pulls it to a nearby (laughs) desolate planet. You crash land on the planet, its surface barren and rocky, your shuttle is crumpled. You survive, but barely, your leg broken, 
Probably a rib or two cracked. The empathy officer knocked out cold. She's too hot to be dead. Lucky her. <laughs> you begin safety protocols and prepare to contact the entrepreneur when a strange shadow pours over the outside of the shuttle. Your blood runs cold. Something about this new presence is profoundly, disgustingly, fundamentally wrong. Somehow uh, it, it speaks to you. Yo, pig monkey, you vape? Oh. Uh, what? <laughs> you respond in a fashion unbecoming Starfleet. You try to straighten yourself and gain the appropriate bearing. You are making first contact with a new life form. You use your console to begin scanning the entity, but the readings are even more confusing. I, I said, said you, you bring, bring any stinky cotton? Candy oil down here, I can rip or I don't know, you like a, I, I don't know, like a, you got a, a, a Blu-ray of Wolf of Wall Street? Man, those guys were <laughs> so baller. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. My name is Ensign Franco. There must be something wrong with the Universal Translator. You begin furiously searching your databanks for the meanings of these words. Stinky cotton candy and Wolf of Wall Street. I might have it. What do you think it is? Is it the thing that killed uh, Tasha Yar? It is. It is ah. the <laughs> Armus, which is, I would not blame you for not knowing it by name, but it is yeah. <laughs> the black viscous sentient ooze that k k killed Tasha Yar in episode one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, season one, episode 22, Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, so let, let's talk about that more after I close out my um, my Shakespearean uh, rendition here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I don't understand. My name is Ensign Franco. There must be something wrong with the Universal Translator. You begin furiously searching your databanks for the meanings of stinky cotton candy and Wolf of Ro and Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I sense the presence. Of uh, somebody else in there with you, a female. I hate to do this, but you got dibs on that, bro, Dizzle, or, or what? What's that situation? I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. Advisor Athens is a Starfleet officer, and we are on a mission to say no more, Brodansky, keeping it profesh, profesh and crescent fresh. I am steezing your slice. So, what I uh, really hear you saying is that there's room for me in this situation with what you, what you call her, uh, Advisor Athens. Uh, so, things that, I mean, you know, she's looking pretty good in that onesie. I, I'm not entirely <laughs> certain what you mean, but I'm fairly certain that we don't have what you're looking for, but um, if you'll let me connect with my ship, we can provide you with BORING! The shadow shifts over the face of the shuttlecraft, and a wave of deathly energy shakes its hull. You feel a surge of impossible light slam through your brain and explode out of your retinas, and you slump over on the console. The shadow slinks away, compiling into a wide, viscous pool of black ooze, mumbling to itself. Bet I can get a whole team of these jabronis to come down here and take a trip to slime time. It is, uh, <laughs> it is indeed the Armus of Vagra 2 from Star Trek The Next Generation. And, and ring the bell for cool. episodes that uh, one of us g guesses guesses it before we've yeah. even gotten to the end of the story. Um, yeah. Uh, and as befits uh, our show, I, Gavin genuinely had no idea what I, he, I was bringing. He didn't even know I was going to do a Star no. Trek topic. 
Um, he had no yeah, clue. Could I have been to... anything from anywhere. Yeah, I had to reach into my far memory of uh, right before The Simpsons at 5.30 every <laughs> afternoon. Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this is one where I feel fairly confident. What do you recall about the episode of um, Star Trek or the Armus itself or, or the incident? What what sticks out for you? Because of this... Okay. Uh, well, th- this... Um... This is a weird one because I remember thinking that uh, uh, security officer Yar was um, like a fill-in for Worf when he wasn't there because I watched him out of order after it was long after the air, like uh, on syndication, like I said, before the Simpsons reruns. And um, what I saw first was Worf. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and then all of a sudden these Tasha Yar episodes were on and I didn't know that chronologically Worf wasn't in the first couple of seasons at all or the first season. I remember watching this episode and thinking it's really sad that this new crew member died and um, I want to know more about all of this. It's way before the Internet, three whole years <laughs> before the Internet. Yeah. And so... <laughs> So I couldn't find out anymore. There, the world was not at my fingertips. So, like, I asked my Trekkie cousin about Tasha Yar, and he told me all about this creature. I forget everything that he said. But watching the episode, I do remember feeling like, oh, man, this is not a good situation. <laughs> this is They are not going to get out of this one. This thing is going to mess everybody up. <laughs> yeah. And, and this would be the rare case where that would actually be true. Um, that yeah, no level yeah. of um, la, um, Picard lawyering or Star Trek balonium or um, f- uh, phaser recalibration or warp, warp core shenanigans will get them out of this one. At least not Tasha Yar. So for those of us who are yeah. not trekophiliacs, uh, I think is the official term that they <laughs> like, is that... Uh, <laughs> This was TNG, this, the second iteration of Star Trek after the original version, the one that famously stars Picard um, and um, William Riker, and the character that I have um, put a shroud over in uh, D- Counselor Deanna Troy, and Beverly Crusher, and Will Wheaton's The Young Boy Crusher, and Worf, <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, old old visor old, old visor blasts the reading rainbow. Why can I? I don't have his name on the top of my mind right now. Lavar uh, Lavar Burton as Jordy, yeah. and of course uh, my hometown favorite Data as played by Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner, right? And th- and in this episode, this is this is deep into season one, so. Um, it's yeah. a, it's a kind of an, an odd mix and, and, um, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. Yeah. I have some gum that was in Jonathan Frakes possession because a friend who went to wasteland with me, um, <laughs> like worked with him on a show and he was like, uh, that deserves Jonathan Frakes gum. And I was like, what are you fucking talking about? And she handed me this trident and she was like, this was some gum that Jonathan Frakes had that didn't, he didn't use. No, not this time. It's totally made up. Pure fiction. It's fiction. It's fiction. We made it up. So I'm like. Okay, I'll take this weird um, um, Jonathan Frakes gum. <laughs> but anyway, um, Jonathan Frakes uh, was uh, one of the, the quotes that was related to this. Or he was saying that, that, that in that first season, 
we took a lot more wild risks. Some of them paid off. You never would have gotten an episode like this one five or six seasons into TNG. Um, and I think that's completely true. Yeah. This one was invented by a writer. Not this time. It never happened. It's false. Whether or not this episode is a success is um, for a different type of show. Um, there are there are wildly different opinions on the quality of this, but let's put that in the drawer and kind of pull it out later because you probably don't really have a, a, yeah. a proper sense of the episode, so we'll go over it. Is Basically, Alrighty. it starts out with a very standard boilerplate um, Star Trek scene. They're, they're floating. We'd we be floating out here in space. And there's some shuttle Michigan, there's some shuttle Michigas and a shuttle with Troy and some red shirt gets pulled down to this random planet with nobody on it. And um, it's scary and they go over the comms and it wrecks and then they have to send a team down. And the team is security officer Tasha Yar. Oh, and I should for, I should not fail to mention that um, this episode is called Skin of Evil because this will. Yeah. So. The the away team that goes down is uh, security officer Tasha Yar, and she's always she's kind of brassy and badass. Um, Will yeah. Riker, who is in charge, uh, Beverly Crusher, who's the doctor, because obviously she is going to assist in helping uh, anybody who's injured down there, and um, our favorite Tin Man, uh, Data, um, Commander Data, because <laughs> he's he's great. And they go down there and they find the shuttlecraft, but between the shuttlecraft in them is what appears to be a very innocuous black puddle of gunk. And uh, as they appear to like video game walk over to the shuttle, they are uh, prevented from doing so as the puddle kind of anticipates their movements and gets in their way and won't let them go. Um, and then yeah. finally it like stand like, like something stands up out of the ooze. It looks like, like a like a sh like a giant sugar daddy fucked a 55 gallon drum of black crude oil <laughs> and it's got yeah. a vaguely it's it's not a humanoid shape but you you know you can tell that there's some dude under there um wearing this cumbrous thing and uh it, but it's able to speak uh, and it turns out it's uh, it's like a it's a it's a total dick. This the thing is just like a jerk. Yeah, I will kill you. And they they kind of try to parlay with it and be like, hey, we've got a we're gonna need to go help our friends. And it's like, no, I would I I think maybe you should not. And basically, it turns out that this thing that calls itself Armus um, is it's just a it's just a top shelf like jackhole, and it just it just. <laughs> is fucking with them. And finally, when, when Yar, who is played by Denise Crosby says like, fuck this, I'm just going to do it. She starts marching over to the shuttlecraft. Um, the thing just reaches out with one of its weird sugar daddy limbs. And, and it, strangely what happens is like an energy blast goes like whoop. And she like Star Trek, like acrobat flips just like 10 feet back she lands unceremoniously on the studio dust and she did. Uh, it, there's some, when yeah. they take her back to the ship, there's a whole bunch of, uh, balonium and flim flam where Dr. Crusher tries to do some neural, uh, in, in kind of like 
basically doing like a brain zapping to get her activity back online, but she's it's too far gone. She's too fried. They can sustain her having mental activity, but it's totally artificial. She's she's really most sincerely dead. And um, dun, 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 we've got like an, a, a, an episode that's set up with a with an immediate main cast character, um, you know, front of show, big uh, big actor death. We we're like, whoa, did not see that coming. Um, this this nasty sugar daddy uh, just just blasted her and barely even tried. Um, and, and she is super dead. And so that lays a foundation of, of fear and anxiety for the episode and the characters that have to go forward and negotiate with this thing. Um, is anything standing out to you? Do you have any thoughts yet? I, I was extraordinarily confused about Tasha Yar's death, mainly because I didn't know who she was. Uh-huh. Like, um, like I said, I thought that, um... She replaced Worf for a little bit in the middle, which was not true. So I was confused about that. On top of, um, like knowing the character a little bit from another episode, and being somewhat attached to her because she, the character was charismatic. It was likable. It was kind of like a a Worf, a lady Worf, yeah, who didn't put up with any crap and is like pretty relatable for like a straight shooting kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put up with your data bullshit data. <laughs> yes. Um, and like, I like the character and then I was confused on like, do they kill people in Star Trek? <laughs> I never knew that they killed people on Star Trek. And <laughs> it's not a big, it's not a, you know, it's the, the main cast generally has some pretty thick narrative armor. Yeah. So it is a big surprise. This is a case where yeah, where Denise Crosby was really unsatisfied with the arc of the character and felt that uh, probably appropriately that sh- her character development was was totally being left on the shelf, and all of hmm. the focus, uh, all all of the ca- the interesting character business was being given, I would imagine, primarily to Picard, Riker, and Data. Um, because, yeah. because that's pretty much where, every, where everything lived. Unfortunately, uh, Crusher, yeah. Crusher, and Troy, even for most of the uh, most of the run of TNG, were, uh, as they would say um, over on the the podcast that I'm a big fan of, Greatest Generation, potted plants. Is they would they would facilitate a scene um, and do their jobs, but the characters wouldn't have really any richness or depth that would allow them to like really mm-hmm. bite. I, I remember it. a lot of Troy stuff, Troy and her mom stuff. Yeah. But the, the thing is the Troy and, um, the Troy and the stuff with Nigel Barrett, with Major Barrett are, it's kind of one note. It's kind of like, <laughs> Oh mom. Yeah. It's kind of a, like my, <laughs> my, uh, overbearing Jewish mother is overbearing. Wah, wah, wah. And, yeah, and it doesn't, and it, it doesn't really hit another note. Sex even. fiend. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's, yeah, there's, my, my horny Jewish mom won't stop banging aliens and telling me about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, gets you about 80% there, unfortunately. Yeah. And by the way, I should say that both of us are probably, I couldn't speak for you, Gavin, but I'm going to guess that you're also like a pretty flaming TNG fan. It was our era of Star Trek. Yeah. And I, I really love TNG. It is just one of my, one of the favorite things that I consume. 
It is nostalgic yeah. and silly, but also like incredibly amazing. And the the characters that are in it go through the weirdest yes. possible things. The, every time that I came up with like stories or stuff to do, it was mostly based on the toys that I had. And I had a lot of like robot cyborg guys. And I always thought that like the the best bad guy ever would be some kind of unstoppable robot guy that wants to turn you into a robot. And then the Borg showed up on Star Trek, and I got so happy. I was like, that's the thing I always make. <laughs> and yeah, that's a, yeah, <laughs> like, that's so a good I was point. huge into the Borg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, I would be shocked if we did not um, get too far into this show without uh, going on the Borg. But that's a big... That's a big stake to chew up, so I, I think it's more appropriate yeah. that we start with a uh, a one off a one offer, like our friend the Armus here. I will kill you. But to, to pull back the uh, the changing screen on what resulted in Tasha getting killed in this episode was that Denise Crosby, as I was alluding to, was just not into the way things were going for her performance. Um, that the scripts that she was getting did not give her enough to do with the character, and that ironically, at the the, the start of the episode that um, that we're discussing, in the start of Skin and Evil, she gets Skin of Evil. She gets kind of a back and forth with Worf that is uh, like a a pretty strong um, flirtatious push by Tasha at Worf that he's kind of trying to. Um, deflect with professionalism. It's really, it's kind of like, um, like a- athlete bro flirting where she's yeah. going to be competing in this shipwide martial arts tournament thing. And he indicates that he's, he's betting on her and she's making it kind of like a, a cute back and forth and he's not really prepared for it. Um, yeah. And I agree that. Uh, both Denise, I, I agree that Denise Crosby makes the character a very. It's I find it I found Tasha for somebody that wasn't even on one whole damn season to be a very satisfying character. She's forceful, yeah. and Denise Crosby makes her feel like she has more gravity than a lot of Star Trek characters do. I will kill you. You know, she seems like somebody who's really in the space and making decisions based off of um, an internal logic that is different from other characters. Um, She has she has a lot of the vibes of Denise Crosby kind of like opened the door so that so that Nana visitor could um, walk through it as Kira Norris. Like in in reality, you want to think that Avery Brooks and some of the other characters are perhaps the protagonists of that show, but um, Kira yeah. Norris as the the tiny Bajoran with the with the with the very special earring, um, she's really the star of that show. And a lot of the vibe that she gives off, I think, is that they wanted to have that in Denise Crosby's character. And they didn't get it because she walked off and they said, like, okay, we're going to come back and the revenge of Denise Crosby is going to be Nana Visitor as Kira Norris. And, and she delivered doing the whole run of that show and it is very good. It's a very, like, I have a perspective. I'm a badass. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I'm not the hardest person in the room vibe. You want to die with a man's gone. Not a little CC gone like this. 
I'm looking at Deep Space Nine stuff, and I do not know this show. Wow. That's what Odo was on, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> That's all I know about it, is Odo. Odo could turn into a glob of spinning frisbee goo. <laughs> well, let me tell you that if you enjoy TNG that much, watch Deep Space Nine, because... The vibes are yeah. very, very, very similar because the shows overlapped for a while, right? There was a season or a yeah. season and a half. There's a there's a there's a bunch of trekologists out there screaming into their um, Apple earbuds like, <laughs> about exactly how many episodes Armin Shimmerman was in. But the the point is that that <laughs> that there's a lot of vibes there um, that are a carryover both in the shows. And in the character of uh, Kieran Reese, taken from Denise Crosby's portrayal of Tasha Yar. And the reason that she hmm. got cut off so quickly is because she wanted to leave the show. She said, I quit, motherfuckers, I'm out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided instead of just doing some, some off screen um, chicanery, to kill her. Yeah. She's a security officer. Just kill the shit out of her. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you watch so many episodes of, T of uh, Star Trek and security officers don't die is fairly yeah. implausible, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, I'd say that was a that was a good move, on uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, so Gene Roddenberry, supposedly, the reports are that Gene Roddenberry said, like, and this was back at the time when he still, you know, was involved in writing every script. He said, yeah, just, yeah. just kill the shit out of her. She's a security, she's a security officer. Makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's true, and that's that's what ushers in Worf becoming the security security officer that we imagine is the case for the the whole run of the show. We won't get into the whole um, uh, Greatest Generation meme about how Worf is the worst security officer you could possibly employ. <laughs> um, but if you open that door, then you go into a whole wine cellar of why Star Starfleet is so bad at security in general yeah right you know yeah. there, are, there are like all sorts of very basic protocols that i would employ on day one where i'd be like yeah you like no androids <laughs> well but there's the one out of every five problems is that there's something wrong with the, data yeah. and he might kill everyone yeah is that <laughs> data discovered how to do sounding and now he's so into it he's gonna kill everybody yeah. <laughs> he's just gonna rip your foreskin off Or conversely, that you just have three androids that only come on if everybody else is incapacitated for some reason. Because that's because that's the thing is that's the thing that happens with with data is everybody else gets fucking knocked out by like a weird sex demon or like a yeah. de-evolution pill or whatever. And then data is the only one that can save them. And yeah. like that's when you need your droid. When everybody else passes out from like glowing space ecstasy stupor. <laughs> it is like evened out though completely because he does cause as many problems as he fixes. Oh yeah, he t just <laughs> just more frequently he goes totally Superman three sister robot and starts like laser blasting <laughs> everybody with like dead fish eyes. Like it like it is it is not a it is not a security. Um, vector that makes any fucking sense keeping data around honestly as a big fan of data that i am is like 
he could just turn around and blast Data and Riker and Worf in about uh, one half of a second and take over the whole ship with no problem, <laughs> which he kind of does semi-frequently. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, but even things that are not character-specific, like the one that drives me fucking crazy is somebody's goddamn job should be to just determine who is and is not on the ship at all times. If anybody randomly appears or disappears from being on the ship in a way that is not approved, there should be a big fucking deal about it. But that makes for boring TV, because if people can't (laughs) secretly uh, jake away a shuttlecraft and go down to the planet, if they can't secretly beam onto the alien ship, if the aliens can't beam from their ship, you know, if, you know, all you would basically yeah. have to do is have a big counter on the goddamn bridge that says, like, I don't know how many people are on a ship, but like 1042. And it's a giant digital yeah. readout. And if it changes, it could change and stay yeah. green. But if it <laughs> yeah. changes and turns red because there's an, uh, like, a miscellaneous an extra loss person. of crew. <laughs> or addition yeah. of entities on the ship, somebody fucking needs to check on that. And if you added that, it would eliminate about 42% of Star Trek plots. W- was that part of Meany's job to keep track of no, comings and goings? No. I, I, I mean, no? Meany <laughs> specifically had a job to get people on and off the ship, right? And presumably he also yeah. moves cargo and, and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because they're not, yeah, they're not and like, taking would, it by and truck. And would know the weight and status of everything yeah. on the ship, right? Yeah. yeah. And, but <laughs> somehow that job also does not include a ticker. Uh, it doesn't even include a yeah. fucking post-it note of 1,034 souls on board, right? It, there is... Yeah. And which which they can, in fact, detect. I know that they can. Yeah, he doesn't have a goddamn Android watch with just a number <laughs> on it that he's flicking. Or one of those, like, um, yeah. umpire counters, those old plastic counters that, like, yeah. softball umpires would have. They go, like, crank, 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 one more. Yeah. Crank, 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 six more. Oh, we just zapped up a whole bunch of really offensive Irish people from the 1800s. Crank, 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 yeah. crank, 19 more. <laughs> and like, oh, we just unfro- unfroze a bunch of icicle people from another time. Like crank, 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 adds adds six white Caucasian yokels from San Francisco. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be really way more secure if you knew who was on the ship and who they were. Um, and it drives me crazy. Yeah. Also, I like it's funny that you bring up Colmini doing that job because when I was doing a job where I was the traffic controller of digital file traffic at a company in in Los Angeles. My job was to, to, I was basically, I observed one time to my friend Leander, I said, ah, shit, I just realized I'm the, I'm the Colm Meany of this, um, of this office. (laughs) My job was to supervise the going and coming of all of the files. And I realized, yeah, um, that that's, that's the job I was doing and that, (laughs) that I was the Miles O'Brien of, uh, of roundabout entertainment. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Didn't. What, yeah, speaking of him being O'Brien, wasn't there like a a mildly a f- racist offensive thing where somebody told O'Brien like, can't you talk to these people whenever like the past Irish people oh, got zapped? Off? We cannot crack open the can of <laughs> of weird baroque St. Patrick's Day bullshit that is the episode. Yeah. 
where the, <laughs> where the indigent space Irish are like yeah are, tr- are tr- they're trying to get their goats to not like shit all over the fucking cargo bay. Yeah, can't you talk to these people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I mean, it's still better than you know because like I'll take that one over the one that's about the like the first the first season episode of the like space Africans. Or the, I think it's a third season episode that's about the space Indians. Like, just fine. Yeah. Like, rough up the space Irish as much as you need to, as long as you just yeah. leave the space Africans and the space Indians I, I am laughing about it instead yeah, of being Yeah, it's, it's, instead of just <laughs> hanging your head and going like, oh, yeah. come on. Oh, I mean, I can, oh, I, can wa- I can watch that episode without <laughs> fucking vomiting, but, yeah, no, <laughs> the other two are, they're, they're pure moments. Can't you talk to these people? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's super not great. That's what I call a wee drop of the creature. Father! Zaps the shit out of Yar. She's, 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 she dead. Um, RPG Tasha Yar. And, uh, and so they, they're like, okay, what, what are we going to do? We have no control over this, this thing. And it's, it's being a dickhead negotiator. And, um, let me tell you, like, how much of the the thing is the thing about this monster is it's seriously just a dick like uh, when (laughs) when uh here's here's one exchange dr beverly crusher to the armis i'm a doctor i need to treat our injured comrades the voice of armis say please dr beverly (laughs) crusher please voice of the armis you ask nicely. I will allow it. Beverly starts moving for the down <laughs> shuttlecraft. Wait, I've changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That right there is the most indicative exchange that the Armas has. You know, yeah. we're going to get into it a little bit more, but ultimately, it's just a fucking cock. <laughs> like, it's just a real yeah. jackass. Is, isn't it like... Is it like the... Um... Oh, what am I like the gray goo of a civilization that um, nanited itself? Yes. So the 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 specifics are vague because the episode does not does not um, you know memory alpha and these other places where the real you you real dig down deep nerds who know all of this stuff that can be known like put it. It's not even known what the race is that did this, but yeah, essentially some race yeah. that the Armus refers to as Titans, whatever that means, um, essentially yeah. like did a did a um, Gwyneth Paltrow cleanse, and the Armus <laughs> is like all of the toxins that they shat out of their cloaca like ten years later. And it's all of the evil and negativity and, I don't know, al- aluminum from the deodorant they'd been using for, for yeah. millennia. And yeah. just negativity and shitty vibes and Reddit threads that, they, that they've had for their entire existence all just gets, like, like removed from them some, by some delicious process 
Um, yeah. they, sh- they shoot it out into this black pool of sentient ooze that is the Armus. And then, apparently, what they do is they fuck off to somewhere else. Nobody knows who they are or where they went. And they're like, later, Gator. They leave their original planet, presuming this is their original planet. And the Armus is the only entity on it. Um, and there's no, there's no like indication of civilization. There's no great, you know, spires or castles or, or edifices that would imply this ancient civilization. So presumably, um, you know, most civilizations leave evidence that, so this has to, we would have to be, I I would say it would, would have been like dumped there then. So, yeah, I mean, it gives you two options. One, that they were always here. I believe that there's some, some verbiage that actually indicates that this actually is its home planet. So okay. get at me and get at me at oopsallmonsters at gmail.com if I, this is a possibility, but it almost makes more sense because there's absolutely nothing on the planet that like what you're saying that there's just like do a drive by like shooting like a Dave Matthews band over, over that boat, like unleashing <laughs> the shit all over those people. Um, like, like, the, the, like the Armus was that and this planet was the people on that boat. <laughs> like, you know about yeah. that, right? Like you're aware of that story? No. No, Matthews, but, um, okay, well, all right, I have to pause this for here a while. Here we go. I have, we have to look at this for a minute. Are you serious? I am serious. All right, so, I, I'm going to look it up, too, then. Okay. Uh, we got to leave this in. Oh, no, it's going to be in. I'm. I, this, is worth putting, <laughs> this is worth putting in the show. Why are you, goddamn Google, why are you Dave telling Matthews me the Chicago, boat. this headline says, 15 years after the Dave Matthews band let loose over the R- Chicago River, we survey the damages and uncover a new victim. So basically, like, uh, I don't know, I forget what years this was, but they, uh, it was early 2000s, and, and the Dave Matthews band was really cranking it. What And the fuck? their van was just driving on this bridge, and when you have a, a when you have like a, a yeah. when you have a tour bus, you know, you got a big tank of shit, you know, in the back of it, and yeah. the bus, the bus, 800 pounds? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's 800 pounds. Jesus. So, so uh, the the phrase is uh, uh, 800 pounds of earth-toned slurry flecked with bits of toilet paper uh, blasted out of the, out of the Dave Matthews band bus um on a, on a 90 degree day on all of these people who were on a some kind of like yeah. pleasure cruise boat in a river in Chicago or on some body of water in Chicago. And yeah, there were like, they sued for damages and, and, and shit. Um, yeah, because like, this. can you, I, you, I would say, can you imagine, but I, I purport that you cannot imagine being, um, summarily and shockingly rained on by 800 yeah. pounds of, why would you build a bus shit? that could hold 800 pounds? Well, you would want to like empty it more than what eight hundred pounds takes to collect. Well, my answer—that is insane. My, my, my that is answer, unsanitary. <laughs> my answer to you is: I drank too much. I ate too much. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine how much of that shit was like daiquiris and, and Bloody Marys for from yeah. from his like DT recoveries. Yeah, it's it's mostly <laughs> yeah it's it's mostly guitar picks, poppers, and Chianti. <laughs> Like it yeah. is, it is a, yeah. it is a, it is a noxious, fucking, oh man, concoction yeah. of like of of pubic hair, flared pants, 
and and like Totino's pizza rolls. <laughs> yeah, and, and glow, yeah, glow, st- <laughs> glow sticks and yeah. broken violin strings. Yeah, it's like, like pop off vodka and Totino's pizza rolls. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be all mixed together with like Chicago <laughs> hot dogs <laughs> from that day. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a true nightmare. Really, really, really <laughs> if we could find, if we could find where. The Dave Matthews shitstorm ran off at what what underwater cave it is hiding in in that river under Chicago. Um, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> it is all of the negative energy and evil that the Dave Matthews band has uh, sloughed off of itself after its millennia of dominance in the musical. They world. probably collected a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway... Um, so anyway, Fred Tatasciori does the voice. <laughs> uh, well, no, does the voice of who now? Who what? Of uh, the Armus. The Armus's voice is a guy named. Uh, where are you seeing that? Because the Armus's voice oh, is a guy um, named Ro- Ron Gans. Is the name of the, the voice of the Armus? Ah, uh, Fred Tatasciori does it in another. Oh, thing. it's probably in the lower decks episode. <laughs> yeah, like what are we gonna do? Prank call Armus? <laughs> Who said that? Show yourself. I am Armus. So basically, the the Armus is all of the, you know, if instead if instead of Schwarzenegger's twin being Danny DeVito, it was just like a, like a, <laughs> a pile. A pile of like shit that wouldn't let you go to the yeah. bathroom at the bar. Like we're just one of those guys that would just like say like I'm going to the bathroom and then like stand in front of you because it's like yeah. a hilarious gag that they think is hilarious when actually they're just yeah. a son of a bitch. It's like that person all of the time, but like covered in black pudding. Yeah. I will kill you. The point is it's a it's a just a really du- it's a douchebag of a sludge. Um, they can't yeah. identify what it is. It doesn't have organs. It doesn't have tissue that they understand. Its consciousness doesn't make any sense. They cannot, if they phaser blast it, it just juices it up. It's like giving it a Red Bull. Like, it is yeah. a weirdly untrappable, undiagnosable monstrosity that they have no power over that is able to perform ke- telekinesis and zap you with deadly lightning bolts and all, all the bad shit. Yeah, like I I know so many people that are just outrageous assholes for no reason and that laugh at everything that they do like it's a comedy bit when it's just straight like assaults. Yeah, it's like, just low punching you. It, yeah, it's just unsuccessful <laughs> yeah. psychopaths is what you mean. Yeah. It's like psychopaths that don't have the and, uh, and the juice to like, go to Wall Street. Yeah, I know a lot of people that do, like, asshole shit in front of me and laugh about it, but there's, like, a charm to some of them. A lot of the punks have that. But, like, some people just don't have the charm to back up all of the crap that they're doing, like, knocking shit over and, like, uh, uh, yelling at somebody's mom or, like, interrupting a phone call. Well, and what that <laughs> like is, and what, and that, and that, what you're describing actually totally gets at what the the armist is, because the armist is like it's it's a pedant and a sadist, and it's not even a particularly yeah. good sadist, because what they get to is a series of interactions where the armist just like is just fucks with them. It says like maybe you can go to the yeah. shuttlecraft, maybe not, and then it, it's talking with Troy in the shuttlecraft next to the dead guy. And I'm just like, I'm, I guess your friends will have to jockey for your life. <laughs> and yeah. she, she's like psychoanalyzing it. And 
um, one of the good and <laughs> perhaps weakest things about at least old timey Star Trek is there is no like <laughs> they will they will buy a billboard, put the subtext on the billboard, and then buy yeah. a bat signal and point it at the billboard to go like, hey. Do you get the episode is about that the character is a douchebag and negative feelings and that those negative feelings are the antithesis yeah. of everything that Starfleet represents and that when they embrace <laughs> yeah. their humanity, which, parentheses, is collectivism in the face of individual threats and their ability to empathize and see each other as together as opposed to separate close parentheses that their power is greater than any one individual lightning monster regardless of how powerful and sadistic it is and you're like oh yeah, yeah I, I super did get that I probably even got it in 1988 when I was like nine years old um, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> because um, you 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 set a tire fire and then had somebody write in skywriting with a biplane. This is what the lesson is on it. And so, you know, Star Trek, uh, good and or bad on you. You know, they're like like yeah. uh, Joss Whedon would say, the, the Star Trek brings you aliens that walk on a screen and go, I am from the planet racism. Don't be prejudiced against me. You know, it, yeah. they really, really telegraph their their morals at you. And 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 what the RMS is, is it's like it's who you don't want to be. It's everything that's anti-Starfleet and anti-Gene Roddenberry's core values. Sorry, go ahead. It's that person I described who I know a couple of. And the, the, the thing about it, what I was getting at was there is no gain from their assholitude. Like, yeah, exactly. They, they're laughing at themselves, but I guarantee you they are miserable and they don't think anything is funny. And yeah. and they certainly know that you don't like what they're doing. Yeah. And they is. they continue to do it like with with the literal application of insanity, like trying this asshole shit over and over again to see if it makes them feel better and it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's actually why I to turn this slightly more serious is I di diagnose it as like a weak psychopath is because yeah. psychopaths the reason that they they torture and engage in things that are that are emotionally um that the reason that they cause emotional harm uh is because they are stimulus seeking brains that they are numb to 90 to 98 percent of the stimulus that gives everybody else pleasure let alone neurotypical people but anybody fucking else other than psychopaths is that yeah. they can really only see like the emotions that appear in like day glow green and orange and yeah. so everything else is, is just a, a blank a numb canvas of, of pure nothingness. So the only yeah. the only joy and registering they can get is to to plink on people in such a way that they get little doses of misery dripped into their worthless bloodstreams, yeah. such that that actually tastes like something. And that's yeah. and that's the depiction of the Armist we get. We get a yeah, pedantic which, psychopath. Which... I also want to say I think is a wonderful addition to Star Trek antagonists because normally you have like an unstoppable 
a force like this created by some type of science or uh, mana anomaly. And um, its motivations, however, are never to just be an incredible douche. Like, even Q <laughs> has a point. But, like, <laughs> the the Armis, from what I'm reading, is only being a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm gonna. This is gonna be a real test of my nerdism because I'm trying to. And I'm trying to analyze. I mean, ultimately, isn't Q mostly just bored? Because yeah. I, like I because I think that's also the. It's just that the Q is only Q is playfully sadistic, but he's not. Yeah. He's not purely sadistic. He, yeah, he, he has get, lots uh, of There's sometimes where he he gets into trouble or he observes trouble coming. And he'll come and try to trick everybody into doing the right thing by being a dick. But, like, well, um, <sighs> sometimes he gets into trouble, though, and he actually needs Starfleet's help. Yeah, I mean, I, rem I remember all these beats. I remember the episode where he gets DQ'd and has to, like, be, yeah. a, be, a, be a flesh bot person. I mean, I yeah. remember I remember the first Q episode where he wears the, the Tina Turner hat and sits in judgment yeah, on, the on Tina humanity. Turner. <laughs> on humanity. I remember, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know my Q beats pretty well, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to cleave between the Armus and, and Q and understand why one of them is, is, is all, like, if Q is at a party, I would be terrified, but I'd also be kind of, like, intrigued. But if the, yeah. Ar if Armus was at a party, I would just Irish goodbye, like, Cole Meany style. Yeah. I'd just be out of there. Remember what I said about the moment of pain? Well, it is about to begin. And I'm wondering what the I'm wondering what the difference is there. Is it just charm? Because, well, because their motivations no, are not that No, it can't be bizarre. just charm. It it's also that Q is not a sociopath. He's a dick. And there are there is a difference between like like sociopaths and people who appear to be sociopaths, but I guarantee you these people feel bad and really actually care about you and will apologize later, feel terrible, and like do something good for you. Whereas opposed to the douchebag dicks that'll just keep doing it for no reason and still call yourself their friend because of whatever similarities in, or interests that you have. Um, they they will go on to be that forever, whereas the uh, dickheads with empathy who appear to be sociopaths will actually change like over time. And that's what I think the difference between Armas and Q is. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right is you could there is a yeah. there's an animalistic sense that is infuriating as Q is and is uh, his veneer frequently that he puts on is that he is a. Um, sadistic puppet master, which he frequently yeah. is. There yeah. are there are other sides to it. You know, when he becomes a father to a baby, Q. When he, <laughs> when he in um, the right circumstances, you know, saves Riker and saves Picard and saves the Enterprise. That he 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 kind of has equal and opposite, like angel and devil aspects to him. And yeah. it makes him redeemable enough. And of course, you know, the, the, just the way he's portrayed carries a lot of water. Um, you know what I mean? Like the, the, yeah. you couldn't, there are a few people, you know, there are a few people that could have done more with it than John Delancey, who plays the original Q from TNG that yeah. could like 
be that fucking guy of this like prancing theater pervert jackanape that you still kind of want to be in the room, you know, because it's more (laughs) interesting with him than without him. But also you're glad that you're watching it rather than suffering through being, you know, turned into a mariachi band or something. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Hi there. My name is Douglas Raffensperger, and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack, and suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded navel sword, that's what. Here at Douglas and Colors, we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a color for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a color for that. Looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a color for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle-quality 27-inch half-guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling. No matter what's your problem, an easy-to-wield iron forged cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Raffensperger of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabby with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallbonsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me slash oopsallbonsters. Um, so, like, both both of these characters, if you tra- transmute them into yeah. douchebag that's at a punk party like, in 2003, like, I kind of yeah. don't want to be around either of them, but I can stand, yeah. I, I might stand in the corner and see what the Q douchebag is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's going to be a liveliness to it. He's he's not just going to put a traffic cone up his asshole and walk around yeah. on the porch. He might then, <laughs> he might then subsequently i don't know like like you know sing in a really good band or yeah uh, i don't know like uh, uh, carry all make of a good point about himself. communism extensively in a in a satisfying conversation <laughs> yeah or save somebody from passing out like in the oh yeah that street. too yeah you know something yeah. of real moral consequence so yeah yeah, I mean, in terms of like party douchebags, Q, you can you can keep Q. Always get rid of your armises. And the, and the thing is, that if yeah. you're in college, you're probably <laughs> surrounded by more armises than you think you are. Yeah, that's sad but true. I will kill you. So things about so in terms in terms of the armises stats, it is presumably an immortal sentient ooze that has control over an energy field that can even reach into past its planet's orbit to grab a shuttlecraft. Um, it is able to fire evil energy blasts. It pulls Riker yeah. into its poolish body and somehow doesn't drown him, even though he appears to be down there for, you know, two scenes and an episode break. Um, and, and how that was achieved, by the way, is that, 
they did a, you know, they, they actually pulled Riker into the pool. That pool was um, oft reported as being Metamucil and Black Printer ink. So, you know, oh. it had to be delicious to, when, you, when you got that into your mouth. Oh, man. Jonathan yeah, Frakes. No way. We got you. Not a chance. Not this time. It never happened. It never happened. We made this one up. And supposedly, when they pulled him out uh, after one of the takes, uh, Jordy, you know, walked over, the, you know, and and said to him, Frakes, uh, I, I'm amazed that you would do. I would never do. That. I would. I would. You're you're looking rough, buddy. I would never do that. <laughs> um, it, I'm sure it was really, really, really gross. I can't imagine how gross it was. And I'm curious how many shooting days he was in that um, that slime pool. It's just swimming with bow legged women. The voice uh, was a guy named Ron Gans, who um, had a fairly stellar career basically doing voiceovers. He was uh, drag strip in the oldie-timey Transformers. He was in a bunch of great stuff. Um, Joseph Scanlon originally wanted Roddy McDowell as the voice of Armus for some reason, <laughs> which to me would be Fucking Gonzo. I mean, as we've already yeah. established from the Fright Night episode, I'm a Roddy yeah. McDowell fan, but Roddy yeah. McDowell would be a kind of like, oh well, perhaps not. You know, like it's it it's it, it is it is not a douchey vibe. It is it would be kind of a like at arm's length, you know, inconvenienced to be fucking killing you vibe that is. So well, yeah. contrarian to what they ended up with. Like his ape character? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roddy McDowell yeah. plays... So sorry. Plays, he basically <laughs> plays... Like, there are some people that play vastly different character types. And then there are people that are kind of a version of a star. And Roddy McDowell plays various different Roddy McDowells. He's, he's, a, he's kind of a lovable, effete dandy... You know, he's yeah. a, a, a an English import to, you know, Baltimore or New Hampshire or Massachusetts or, you know what I mean? Like, it's, there's this, vi it's got this kind of like, oh, woe is me kind of like put out thing that does not go with a like sugar daddy cauldron of, of hatred vibe. Like, it just doesn't, <laughs> it does not compute. I can see why they didn't go with it. And also, I have to say, that the in the original conception of this episode, um, the Armus was intended to be based off of the Mummenshans Swiss theater group style. Do you know what Mummenshans is? No. It was a like it was a kind of um, mimes but extra thing. If you, oh, okay. if you Google it, you'll see a yeah. whole bunch of pictures of these like weird German style freakazoids yes. and masks I and black. Certainly black do leotards. know what it is, as a matter okay. of fact. Well, there's yeah. a really, I didn't there's know a it was really, Mum and Shines. Yeah, there's a really famous, um, well, there's a really fantastic performance on, I think it was Mumenshans. the first season of The Muppet Show where they went on. Yeah. And, you were, and you would go, what? The flying fuck is this because it's so yeah, clearly like some what i like, remember him from <laughs> yeah it's clearly some east berlin like puppet pervert maniac freaks yeah <laughs> do, do, doing like theater non-linear non consensual mask horrors where yeah. you know that it when you get into the most like our loosey-goosey elements of 
of um, you know Kermit and Jim Henson, and like when he's doing his most elemental, like what the fuck is going on shit, it starts yeah. to touch on this vibe of like, oh, what's happening now? Are these mimes, or am I tripping on ketamine? Because yeah. it is, it is a whole thing. And yeah, I, I, think, I remember this from Sesame Street going like, yes, yes, it is very non-linguistic, but it is very it's a whole thing. So, like I said, Ron Gans, who is uh, a fairly accomplished uh, voice actor, he handled the the voicing of of uh, of the character. And the dude in the suit, because it's never the same person doing the voice, is a guy named Mark McChesney, Mart, not Mark, Mart with a T, from Abilene, Texas. And apparently, he he has virtual, he has like two acting credits where he's a guy in a suit. So um, if anybody wants to throw, I was having trouble finding it. That, you know, if he has like a, a long storied history as an electrician or something on set, I don't know. But, um, I get the vibe that he's kind of like crew or stunt adjacent, and they're just like, "Hey, Mark, you you don't you don't uh, you don't drown quick, do you?" And he's like, "Hell no!" <laughs> and and then he was in that suit for probably a week and a half. Unfortunately, um, it yeah. was it was two pieces. It was a, a head piece that was achieved by the um, the Star Trek people, and then or rather, and then the uh, then the rest of the body was sent out to a third party company. Um, and it, it kept the metal musel and black ink concoction kept melting it so that they had to have a backup suit later on. And at the end, like they had one scene where the the back was opened up. And also he kept like the, the way that they would shoot it was he would be like under that pool, like actually a pool of metamucil and black ink. And he was on a grate that some mechanics would like push him up out of the pool and he would just be standing there like, uh, I am risen, and would just have to stand there and kind of just like look left and look right, maybe gesture with one of his shitty sugar daddy paws. Um, but yeah. the crew had a stopwatch to time how long he was down because the mask was designed so that he would have a breathing apparatus, but it was never completed. So he was just fucking yeah. holding his breath. And Jeez. if you are... Um, if you have any like awareness of how actual production works, even in a studio environment, you are thinking like that is some super not kosher way to do that, man. <laughs> like, uh, like that is that is some hardcore dangerous bullshit because yeah. you know what I want to what I want to know is what were they told to. When would the stopwatch get to the point where you're like, okay, cut it and get him out of there? You know, like, what was the number where you're like, all right, now we got to start yeah, worrying about Mart? Seems like, I don't know, like you wouldn't want to keep it the same amount of time every time. Like, you would ask him, what do you think you could be down there for? And right. then, like, set this watch for that instead of just having a number so that he's counting to, like, uh, 180 every time. Hopefully that's true. <laughs> But it's yeah. just uh, the realities of, of production pressure uh, just create yeah. these bottlenecks where bad decisions get made. So, so yeah, big ups to you, Mark McChesney, for being being the guy yeah. in the, the sugar daddy suit for who knows how many days of production. Thank you for the delicious cookies. My observations about the Armist, because I, I remembered it as being scary as fuck. 
And because I will say that the very basic fundamental kind of carnivorous ooze, you know, thing that is, is, is evil and, and, you know, it's kind of like a a dark earth elemental thing that gives off of these primordial vibes coming out of the planet and being the cast off remnants of a, of another race and that it, it killed this main character that we were invested in and that it was just bizarre and unknowable it, from, you know, from the, the its original watch in 1988 and however many rewatches I've had of it from that time, they it gave me an impression of a thing that was very terrifying. <laughs> But watching watching it again, it's it's the effects are the 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 effect concept is good, and then the the probably imagineering of what the concept is going to come out as is good, and the execution, I to me on the left hand is extremely successful, and on the right hand is totally lame. Because there's just a guy in a suit who can't do anything, and a and a and a pool of of gunk. Um, the fact that they pull Riker into it is strong. It's false. It never happened. The fact that it kills a character is strong, but the fact yeah. that the character is such a such a little fucking bitch, Todd jackass of a of a of a douche, it really undermines <laughs> what this character could and should do with its strength in the episode if you give a monster the 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 weapon of having killed a main cast character and then you yeah. find it to be unimpressive by 3 quarters into the episode because it's just so fucking petty and pathetic that you have really um you have really failed on a level because so rarely do you have that tool to 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 put to use to say like well this thing is going to you know if you went uh, three seasons later and something else was going to kill Deanna Troy, I guarantee they would have written yeah. around that in a fashion that would have made it a really profound monster. They would have they would have had the Borg do it, or they would have had you know something really revelatory that would have signaled that this is a threat that we're going to have to take seriously for you know maybe seasons and seasons and seasons. Uh, going forward so in a way it's a very iconic episode but also it's very um ham-fisted and um achieved in a a really clunky way although that there are aspects of it that i love i love how gross the black pool is i love the, the 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 tos vibes of the shitty studio planet i actually really like that i love the classic um, TN, the classic TOS kind of trapped on a planet horror bullshit nature of it. Um, I, I like that Picard has to negotiate with this thing. I just hate that the, that the, the, it's so obvious that things are going to go Picard's way because he's dealing with such a petty and, um, you know, ultimately ineffectual mind of a character. I think if you made the character, yeah. if you wrote the character to be, intelligent as well as malevolent and maybe suddenly you got a a two season you know next time on star trek arc of it and turned it into a a meal as opposed to just an appetizer then you could 
have something really amazing here that would be a true standout episode that was notable not just for the character death, but that the monster was really worth putting into the future. Um, but ultimately, I enjoy mm. the monster, but it, it's it's like a it is a, a metaphor for a gross guy at a party you don't want to be at. Yeah, I I like it because um, it's it's a it it is the polar opposite of uh, an unstoppable killing machine, which is it's just a personality. Like I, 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 <laughs> that, I kind of get. You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I just wish that it, with, if if you have a personality, the embodiment of a personality in a miscellaneous form, of all of the personalities you could choose, you yeah. could have chosen something. You could have chosen something that ha- was much more Hannibal Lecter or Genghis Khan yeah. or, or 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 you know Hitlerian or or you know I mean something that would have had an element of dynamism and charm yeah, on he, one aspect that here you get you bam margera <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 you, you, you get a you get a lesser jackass um, yeah <laughs> yeah you get the you get the jackass character that's that's got like the him logo tattooed or whatever is that fucking is that that band is that the band called that, him yeah that's bam um, yeah, and no, I, I know, I remember which one Bam is. Yeah, he's the one yeah. that like that looks like an Uncle Goth. Like, <laughs> Uncle Goth. <laughs> yeah, like he looks like he looks like like two thousand. All of the shit that got thrown away from Hot Topic in two thousand and two, like got dumped <laughs> yeah. into one like landfill, and then you know nuclear radiation turned it into a person, and it started a skateboarding career. You're like, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just punch your balls for no reason. Yeah, and I, and ironically, I'm like not anti jackass as the phenomenon. I just that fucking guy. Yeah, not the a whole lot of people jackass like phenomenon. Yeah. I'm fine with. I just don't like. Yeah, him. I I really like Johnny Knoxville. He's pretty funny. I like Stevo. Yeah, I like Stevo's friend Chris. Hopefully, Stevo is a nice <laughs> person because he's a, seems likable. <laughs> Well, yeah, oh. he's well. Yeah, you go through a freaking change like that. Yeah, you can't. Who knows? But yeah. anyway, anyway, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Let's, let's get out of this fucking episode. So, Steve-O Steve-O is the thing that uh, cleansed himself and created an armus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no Steve-O cleansed himself of of all of all of his shenanigans, and we got Bam Margera, and That's we got that. Bam Margera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got. A skateboarding in a trilby. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we uh, for which those I've you, done. So those of you, so those of you who are uh, new <laughs> to the show, we have a couple of segments at the at at the end where we close things out. And I, I'm this one, this one I feel like it's not going to be very complicated. Our hit segment where we find out whether. A uh, whether our given oh, yeah. monster for each episode is is it is it is is is, is it bitchin van art bitchin van art so Gavin is no. the armus sludge a sentient sludge monster bitchin van art uh n- ding 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 no. no it definitely is not like a sentient sludge monster maybe in a again like a collage of monsters. 
something maybe, recognizable maybe like that, like, uh, yeah, like chocolate chocolate pudding guy from Candyland or whatever the fuck. I don't I don't know. The <laughs> um the thing from like if you were gonna have a creep show van and it was uh-huh, the thing uh-huh. in the lake. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, if you get into like lake monster vibes or creature from the black lagoon vibes, yeah, sure. Yeah. This is this is this That's, is a, no. The, this is the a Armist whole is like ten notches thing. away from that. So ah, absolutely doing that. This is this one. One. This one is easy. No, the Armus is not bitchin' van art. Is it? Is it? Is 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 it bitchin' van art? I have to mention. That um, this this episode this episode of TNG uh, it, it was written by primarily two people. Gina Roddenberry gets um, credit on all of these, but it is it is um, unknown based off of various rumor his level of actual involvement. It's complicated, so I don't want to get into it. However, um, the actual story credits are two people: uh, Joseph Stefano. And Hannah Louise Shearer. Hannah Louise Shearer would go on to do all sorts of things. She started out doing episodes of Emergency, which is a great um, show about first responders from the seventies. It's very, it's very funny to watch it now. And then does a lot of soap operas and lots of Knight Rider and other cool things. But um, Joseph Stefano was none other than the writer of fucking Psycho. So I yeah. didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to slam bam through that without without notching that in there. He's uh, yeah. He's done, a, he's done a lot of TV and worked with uh, Hitchcock. Um, what the fuck do we do now? We do. We, we do the describing segment. Describing. So, Gavin, you you appear to be indicating we've moved away from describing Buster Rhymes. Yeah. Um, who who have you brought into the shop to describe okay. this week? I'm just going to throw the picture into resources because um, better. you may get it immediately or it might take you a second. And um, I want to see okay. if it takes you a second. I'm afeard. But there it oh, is. Oh, no, I know who that is. Okay, that is, then. That's Tom Hardy, right? That's Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know a Tom Hardy when I see one. Regar- <laughs> regardless of how um, chameleonic he is. Yeah. Uh, that's not from um, Bronson, is it? What is that from? No, it's from something I think he's new. he's way smaller than when he was in Bronson. So in the describing segment, we, we pick um, every few weeks a new celebrity or a person that is widely known uh, who has a particular, I don't know, a... Uh, a noteworthy appearance, right? There's uh, in one way or the other. We started out with Nick Cave. It was kind <laughs> of a, in the in the shower idea I had, where it'd be like it would be funny to talk about the way Nick Cave looks, and uh, it turned out that I hope I hope the audience agrees with us. Um, and then we've gone on to various personalities since then, and now I guess we're going to do describing Tom Hardy. <laughs> the segment on the show where we describe Tom fucking Hardy. Which I love Tom Hardy, so on one level I can't argue with you there. And um, yeah, <laughs> right here we've got a, a, a call. It's got to be an it's got to be an early Tom Hardy because he's he looks pre jacked. He looks very strong, but kind of um, you know normal. He's not leveled up to being you know maybe if you're playing Altered Beast, he's got one of those little orbs. He's kind of like yeah, ripped. Yeah. He's ripped, but not fucking swole. 
uh, and he's covered in all sorts of what I assume are production tattoos. Uh, yeah, tattoos. which he gets often. Everything that I'm finding for this picture keeps saying this. These are Tom Hardy's real tattoos. Uh, and he, this is just this is just a, a camera somebody set up at Tom Hardy's house. He's yeah. just TikToking in this. Yeah, this is I not guess, from something. But, but it's I I highly doubt it. I think this is from something. Per Vulture.com, this image is from Legend, a movie I have uh, no knowledge of. Oh yeah, it's it's the one where he's twins. It's the, the one where he's twins, about? of course. Yeah. Um, what the shit is it about? It's about the the uh, actual '60s crime twins, the Cray twins, who one was a schizo effective um, kind of slowly losing it guy, and the other one was kind of a more professional criminal. And um, the schizo effective guy kind of dragged down the professional guy with him as he slipped further into like delusion. And paranoia, huh. which is Was it good. Did you like it? Um, yes, it was awesome. That movie was awesome, and Tom Hardy scares the shit out of me. Like, there's a point where um, a song comes on, and he starts like stiffly bobbing back and forth, and the point in the story is like really tense because that twin had just done something like maniacally sociopathic, like murdered a person or something. And he just came back and is having a good time in quotes at a party and like intimidating everybody by just dancing really slowly and stiffly and going, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love this song. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody else is having a good time. And it scared the crap out of me. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that this photo I'll have to watch that movie because it sounds very compelling. Um, I remember liking the trailer when I saw it, and then you know if I don't see something five times, it's like it never existed. Yeah. Um, but the, I guess this is really and this is this is what Tom Hardy really looks like. He's probably his hair is probably dyed to portray these uh, these twins. Yeah. Um, I guess I I don't know if I can think of anybody else for whom perhaps they're their overall size is 100% dictated by what role they're playing. Yeah, that play. is weird. Like more so than, uh, more so than, um, what's his fucking, I drink your milkshake, the cobbler or, um, or, uh, Danny Elfman. No, freaking. <laughs> <laughs> I drink uh, your milkshake. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. Or um, more so, more so than you know, Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or any yeah. of these fucking guys that are always going on these weird like blow Daniel your Day ass Lewis. Jeez, yeah. Uh, the Tom Hardy seems to be yeah. to just have like a a pump on the side of his uh, yeah, like he can he can change from six feet tall to five feet tall to eight feet tall at any given moment. And, and, and it, in mass too, not just in height, but also in mass. <laughs> well, I doubt he goes from five foot six to six foot six. Cause I, think I know, but that's what it seems the, like the, the, the appearance. Yeah, I understand the appearance of it, but in ter- certainly the bulk and the muscle mass thing is a, is an, an element that I, it, he must have just some kind of bizarre internal lever for the mental effort it must take to just go in these directions and get on these regimens of, of cutting and, and, and bulking or whatever. Um, But I mean, 
I don't know why you picked this photo, because he just looks like a cool guy covered in a lot of tattoos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, hey, I'm getting ready. For, he's getting ready for a date um, in Bristol or some shit. I don't know. Well, he just he's like, uh, he looks like he's going to sell deodorant to murderers. Yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or possibly bars of soap. To sell rich women their own fat asses back to them. Yeah, there are some big, uh, big Tyler Durden vibes here. Do you remember uh, how Tom Hardy was in Band of Brothers as a skinny little guy? I not really, because I, I watched Band of Brothers like ten times back in the day. I don't know why. Yeah. And then he was he I, was Private Janovic, a tiny guy. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I mean. Basically, from what was it, Star Trek Nemesis prior, he was just yeah. normal sized dude. Which yeah, if anything, kind of like trim looking, healthy, healthy guy, like <laughs> yeah. like regular Steve Rogers, and then he fucking Captain America's out, like kind of right after yeah. Nemesis, the, he, I believe. He gains a mass of both weight and physical mass, and like uh, a personality that he can turn on by a grunt. Like, mm, mm. yeah, I, and then suddenly yeah, I know, it's business I don't know if time. He's always been doing. Yeah, I don't know if he's always been doing the kind of non word acting. I'd have to go back and watch like his stuff way in the way back machine. But um, yeah. Mm, mm. yeah, I mean, if you watch <laughs> Outlaw, the one where he's like a Virginia uh, booze yes. runner in the in the prohibition, like I would say of the times that he is um, that the character is communicating, I would say about 60 percent of them. Or some of those like patented Tom Hardy like grunts and sighs and chortles and huffs. Yeah, like it's a, it's yeah. about eighty percent <laughs> chortles and huffs. Uh, yeah, I mean sixty, you know, fifty-five, sixty. Like, like the majority of the communication the character does are like sideways glances, chortles, and huffs, and it's like uh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> but uh, okay, well, this has been episode one of describing describing Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. The segment on the show where we describe Tom fucking Hardy. And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until next time when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bullywugs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. And if you would be so kind as to tell a friend or support us by throwing Oops All Monsters a five-star review on iTunes, that really does help. Uh, Gavin has a Twitch channel that is Twitch Gavin Longshanks. I play a bunch of video games. Uh, and yeah, he's Gavin, in case that was confusing. Yeah, I'm Gavin. Um, and and, and <laughs> uh, please, please share an episode on your favorite social media, if any of it is still favorite, and hit up our Instagram for the images that go along with each episode, including these Tom Hardys. <laughs> <laughs> and comment on the Instagram with the monsters that you want to see or email your suggestions uh, and also email RPG stories anything from a role playing game, tabletop game card game, uh, Star Trek fan fiction to oopsallmonsters at gmail.com oopsallmonsters at gmail.com if Tom Hardy swallowed a like uh, a concoction from Gwyneth Paltrow's shop, 
slough <laughs> off all of his like like misery and evil and and negative energy. <clears throat> Would that resulting creature be called Tom Softy? Oh, <laughs> I will kill you. And if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, please hit us up with a one-shot contribution and get your name shouted out on the show over at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Or if you're feeling really froggy, sign up at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters. Lastly, I have to thank my wonderful friend Katie for our incredible theme song, her work as the... Uh, her work as part of the duo The Darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at The Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And I have been Gavin. And we have been... Oops! All nanite sludge. Evil. Evil. Oops, all skin of evil. Yo, Left let me hit that vape! Cleansy. Yo, right. let me hit that vape! Okay, stop, stop <laughs> making the show. Stop, stop making the show.